I'd like to invite the three Casting Call finalists to join me on stage one last time. Hi, it me, Anna Ladd. The last time you heard from me, this was happening. And the winner of the Casting Call podcast competition is... Anna Ladd. This was September of 2018. As you can hear, just won a competition. It was a reality podcast contest called Casting Call. And to search for, I'm making air quotes here, the next great podcast host. My prize was to make my own podcast miniseries with Gimlet. There's a lot of room to expand upon what you've made, and we're excited for your miniseries. Thanks. <laughs> How do you feel? I'm, I feel a lot of ways. <laughs> So, here's the thing. I love reality shows, and not ironically. Part of the reason I entered Casting Call is that I especially love competition reality shows, the ones where the winner gets to, I'm doing all caps here, live their dream. You know, like Project Runway, where the winner gets $250,000 to start their own fashion line, or Hell's Kitchen, where the winner becomes an executive chef at one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants, or The Voice, where the winner gets a record deal, and an exorbitant amount of Instagram followers. I used to be happy for these winners, jealous even, but not anymore. When I watched reality competitions, I assumed that the winners were actually good at the thing they won for, that they weren't some random enthusiast of the medium or a fame-hungry weirdo, but an actual undiscovered genius. But they're not. Or at least, I wasn't. In the months after I won the competition, I was scared. And then, when I moved to New York this summer and started working on the show in earnest, I began to scare others, as it became clear that I was not an undiscovered genius at all, but a 25-year-old who recently got the Narragansett Beer Company slogan tattooed on her left leg at a bar because the company was giving them away for free as part of a promotion. But here we are. I did make a show. This is that show. It's called So Help Me, and it's about self-help. Specifically, the attempts I've made to improve myself since I won Casting Call. Because, it turns out, winning did not solve all of my problems like I thought it might. It magnified them. The show isn't only about me. I'll talk with other people trying self-help programs. I'll talk with self-help experts. And you'll also hear from some of your favorite Gimlet personalities. Okay, so, this is So Help Me. This week, what to do if you, like me, feel like a fraud at your job. When I moved to New York in July and started coming to the Gimlet offices, things started poorly. I didn't have a swipe card to get in the building, but was afraid to ask for help, so I waited by the door and tried to slip in behind my new co-workers. The first assignment my producer gave me was to come up with three good episode ideas. Just three ideas. When he asked me, I said, sure, but then walked back to my desk and was terrified. I had no clue what a good story idea actually was. My solution was to come up with 17 episode ideas. I figured it's not possible that all 17 ideas could be bad. 
Are there even 17 bad ideas in the world? Yes. Yes, there are. And all of them were mine. My producer was nice about it, but I had to start all over. And it got even harder. I stopped pitching anything because I convinced myself that every idea I had belonged in the trash. The problem now was that I felt like a fraud. And I couldn't ask for help because doing so would let everyone know I was a fraud. So I turned to self-help. I began living a double life. At the office, I attempted to project confidence, but at home, I began searching for a self-help program that could help me feel less like a fraud. I fully accept this moment. I had been hearing about positive affirmations online for years. A bunch of YouTube personalities that I watched do them in their morning routine videos. But I had never actually tried them until now. If you say them over and over again, they're supposed to increase your confidence and even help with your performance at work. I hoped if I said a lot of them, I'd feel confident enough to come up with a new batch of ideas. So I signed up for an email list that sent me a new affirmation every day. This was a 30-day challenge called 30 Affirmations for Inner Peace and Self-Love. I repeated them to myself in the morning while getting ready for work. On the second day, I said this while getting almond milk out of my fridge. I let go of struggle and surrender to ease. I lived alone back then, but I could hear my neighbors in the hallway sometimes. They could have heard me. Peace comes naturally when I stop resisting it. The thought of this was mortifying, so sometimes I whispered them. Peace comes naturally when I stop resisting it. After two weeks, I wasn't feeling any better, but just feeling like I was doing something helped. It felt like homework, but I like homework. As the month continued, the emailed affirmations had me saying things like, I get to choose how I feel, and today I choose to trust that the universe has my back. Or more simply, I am light. And... I am here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold through me. That's how important I am. After 30 days of positive affirmations, I didn't feel more confident or feel like I had more purpose. I didn't believe I was divine or feel like a single beam of light. Instead, another phrase continued to dominate my mind. I am going to ruin this podcast. I am going to ruin this podcast. I am going to... At least for me, positive affirmations are no match for involuntary negative ones. So I decided I needed a new self-help program, and I found this guy on YouTube one day. Whatever your life is this morning, unsatisfactory, unhappy... Hit me. It doesn't need to remain that way. The guy talking is minister and 1950s self-help pioneer Norman Vincent Peale. He wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, and his plan for having a more satisfactory... An unhappy morning is refreshingly concrete. Peel says you must completely banish all negative thoughts. In their place, you fill your mind with faith, 
confidence, and thoughts of security. He says things like, it's always too soon to quit, and speak hopefully about everything. The Power of Positive Thinking has sold millions of copies and made Peel so famous he started hanging out with presidents. When I first saw Peel, he seemed a little too, okay, boomer for me, but then I spent a whole afternoon watching his lectures on YouTube anyways, and surprisingly, I started to think feeling better might be as simple as he says. So, instead of getting up in the morning and repeating out loud that the universe was moving through me, I got up in the morning and destroyed every negative thought the moment I sensed them coming on. I actually started to feel more confident. I swiped into the building. I initiated conversations with formerly intimidating people in the elevator. But then one day, my producer asked me to email someone and ask them to be a guest on this show. I said, sure. But then I didn't send the email that day or that week. I was terrified that I would upset a potential guest somehow or that they'd laugh at the idea of doing an interview with someone like me. My negative thoughts were like an unstoppable swarm of bees telling me I was bad at stuff. It takes an enormous amount of mental strength to push back negative thoughts about yourself that you strongly suspect are true. I do not have an enormous amount of mental strength. I needed to find a self-help strategy designed for the weak-minded. And I found one. That's after the break. Oh, wait, before that. A brief sidebar. It's not like Peel's advice doesn't work for anyone. I found a ton of online testimonials where people talk about how much the power of positive thinking improved their lives. I'd like to play one of those testimonials. People are so shocked when they find this out. Uh, I'm Protestant. I'm Presbyterian. And I go to church and I love God and I love my church. And Norman Vincent Peel, the great Norman Vincent Peel was my pastor. Welcome back to So Help Me. After failing at banishing doubt from my head, I needed something a little more gentle. The answer came, once again, from the internet. A few years ago, I got really into watching YouTube personalities do morning routine videos. Like Twitch, but for breakfast. I noticed that these personalities always seem to be gratitude journaling. They say it helps them feel better and more positive. I want those things. So I decided to try gratitude journaling too. Gratitude journaling is exactly what it sounds like. You just write down the things you're grateful for every day. I liked the idea of it. I could acknowledge positive thoughts alongside negative ones instead of trying to make them disappear. When I was looking up gratitude journaling, I actually found that there's some pretty solid science behind it. There's multiple studies linking gratitude with well-being. It's also associated with self-esteem, reducing stress, and improving mental strength. I needed all of those things, and I needed them, right f***ing then. And, and this is a plus, gratitude journaling can be social. I thought it would be fun to do it with my friends. So, I enlisted my friend Lindsay to say into a microphone what she's grateful for. So tomorrow... I'm pretty excited because I'm making air fryer chicken fingers for dinner. Whoa. Maybe I'll even have a vegetable. We'll see. Whoa. Yeah, vegetable. I know. A whole ass vegetable. Here's my first entry in the gratitude journal. 
I am so deeply grateful that ESPN <laughs> released their body issue and it featured not one, not two, but five members of the Eagles offensive line bare-assed in front of the Lincoln Financial Field. We don't deserve it. It wasn't the most sincere expression of gratitude I'd ever made, but the more I did it, the more it kind of helped. So I kept journaling every night before bed. I started to feel more positive about myself and about being the, air quotes, next great podcast host. I'd respond to emails day of. I started asking questions when I had them. And, to my surprise, no one laughed at me or asked me to leave. I even started to remember to be grateful for things that weren't just work or sports. I am very grateful for my family. Every time I've made a big decision, um, they were concerned when they needed to be, but backed off and let me take it. The back off was never, um, you figure it out. The back off was like, we believe in you to figure it out. And if you don't, you can always come back and it's okay. Things really started to get better at work. When my producer asked me to write a script, I didn't feel paralyzed with fear. I sat down, I wrote it, and I even, get this, shared my Google Doc and wrote when other people were looking at it, like a professional or a single beam of light. I finished sending emails, I pitched better episode ideas, but then it was time to actually make the show. I had forgotten that overcoming your fear does not, in itself, produce a podcast. I had to actually interview all those people I'd emailed. Yeah, can you talk a little bit? Oh, sorry. Can you guys tell me what you're, like, what you do? Uh, I had to read my new scripts into a microphone to its natural brown and of, uh, all right. During this time, I had start, <laughs> the, uh, and I had to master the technical parts of the job. Hello? 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 Hmm. That's me, accidentally hanging up on the very first guest I interviewed. At some point during this parade of blunders, the halo of the gratitude journal wore off, and I remembered, ah, that's right, I'm a fraud. And now there was audio proof of it. Without thinking about it, I stopped gratitude journaling and stopped feeling grateful. People around the office were saying things like, hey, can't wait to hear your show. But that was exactly what I was coming to dread. I was sure that when they heard it, they'd hate it and know that I was a fraud. My producer Chris could sense this. So he suggested I talk to PJ Vogt and Alex Goldman, hosts of Gimlet's Reply All. He said they, like me, got the chance to make their show after entering a contest. They didn't win, but their boss let them make their first show, TLDR, anyways. So we found a time to talk. PJ came to the studio. Alex called in from home. Check one, check two. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? I nailed the technical part once again. 
Check one, check two, check one. Hello? Eventually, I hammered out the technical problems. Hello! But not, like, quickly. But then we got started. Hi. Hello. Um, so, what was it like when you started TLDR, which was your first show? It really felt like nobody was listening to it, which was pretty accurate. And that was really, like, unpressury. Um, also, if you don't feel the pressure of people listening, you can kind of try things that you might be afraid to do. You can dance like nobody's watching. <laughs> Wait, I, we're saying this, and I'm actually, like, thinking back and trying to... This is not honest at all. I was... We were scared all the time. It was kind of good to hear that PJ and Alex were scared when their show was new. Reassuring to know that being scared isn't unusual. It would have been even more reassuring to hear that, after five years, making a show is no longer scary. But, nope. I wake up when we publish episodes. So we we, we publish them Thursday morning at 7. Alex, is it 7? 6. 6. I'll usually wake up around 6 and just grab my phone from under my pillow and just be like, is anyone yelling at us? Is anyone yelling at us? Is anyone yelling at us? <laughs> and it's been like five years. And that's every time. Yeah. Is uh, anyone yelling? <laughs> sometimes they're yelling. Sometimes they're yelling. They're never yelling as much as you're afraid they're going to yell or about what you think they're going to yell at you about. It's always something else. Um, something that I've noticed, which like uh, has been helpful recently, is like I feel like when I get into like worry about stuff like this, I'm always like, it's going to suck. They're going to kill me. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then when I try to think positively, I'm like, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Like It doesn't work. But if I think like, if I think through the worst case scenario, and this is something Alex has always done, but I just started learning how to do it. It's actually better. I'm like, okay, so let's say it's really bad. People won't like it. Uh, I guess people yell at me on Twitter, and like I could get drummed out of the industry, never be able to make another podcast again. I guess I'll work in a bookstore. I like books. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Like I won't be dead. Alex, it takes a while to hit your stride. Okay. It takes a while to figure out what your show is and like and like how to make it the way that is best for you the most important thing to do is just keep making them what i mean i hate to plagiarize ira glass but whatever uh like what does he say you have to you you have to get all the bad stuff out of your system first mm -hmm. is that right pj he says you got to make a bunch of bad stuff before you can make good stuff yeah and i, I mean, feel Alex like he's still doing that it's what's really inspiring <laughs> like he knows one day one day he's going to reach that point where like his taste and his ability line up but you know he doesn't he doesn't beat himself up over it. Right, which Alex? which one is which one's out in front right now? Taste or ability? God, I don't know how I don't know how to insult you better. <laughs> My takeaways from the conversation are as follows. One, being inside their bickering in real life is very funny. And two, everyone worries that the thing they make won't be good enough, which is comforting. Part of feeling like a fraud is the assumption that no one else is one. Knowing that's not true took some of the pressure off. After that talk, things got easier again. There was, in my mind at least, room to mess up. I wrote bad scripts that, with help, became better scripts. I called guests and didn't hang up on them. And look, I still think I'm a fraud. I mean, I won a reality show. Think for a moment of the kind of people who go on reality shows. But the idea that I might not be a reality show winning fraud forever helps. And all I have to do to get there is keep doing it, which I've done. There are two more episodes in this miniseries. 
Next week, cleaning up your apartment and realizing that your dreams are dead. So Help Me is produced by Chris Neary and edited by Devin Taylor and Nazanin Rafsanjani. This episode is mixed by Sam Baer. The theme song is by Coping Skills with other music from Blue Dot Sessions and Aaron Paul Lowe. The positive affirmations in the episode were drawn from a list created by Kelsey Ida. Special thanks to Kelsey Lightfoot, Christopher Lane, AJ Jacobs, Bree Hannon, Caitlin Baguki, Max Gibson, Carrie Poppy, Kate Krako, and special thanks to all the people who gratitude journaled with me. Jack Papanair, Rachel Dispenza, Ann Sauter, Tara Jalali, Brandon Cohen, Jess Swift, Lindsay Goldberg, Carly Goldberg, and Kate Monahan. You can listen next week for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.